Hello, Mr. Reimer. Oh, hello, Mr. Ornstein. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It's not Reimer, right? It is not. No. Okay. I'm just making sure. <laughs> I corrected somebody else the other day and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, but <laughs> yeah. I should double check. Yep. Good old uh, German pronunciation rules. Reimer. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. How you doing? Yep. Um, I'm doing well. Yeah. I, I spent um, the last weekend, so the, the previous weekend, we're recording on a Friday right now, up at the North Shore on Lake Superior, and it was a nice birthday getaway and time Ooh. to kind of disconnect a little bit. So yeah, for you? I'm, is it your, birth- was your birthday? It was my birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. How old are you? I'm 31. 31. Mm-hmm. How dare you be younger than I am? I know. I know. It's messed up. It's rude. Yeah. It's become kind of an annual tradition now to go up this time of year and it's like it's the weather's generally cooperative. It's, you know, fall is starting to to come and you're starting to see some fall colors and but it's still like not so cold that you can't be active outside so i did a couple like long bike rides i've been finding this in general with kind of longer stretches of exercise where i can just kind of disconnect my mind from the actual activity i'm doing and start kind of brainstorming which has been cool like i feel like there's there's different chemical things going on in my brain it's like i don't know if it's the endorphin release or whatever from from the exercise but i can get really excited about stuff that i'm thinking about to the point where like I start thinking more audaciously, I think, like, what if I did this? What if I tried to tackle this? And it, like, it has a, an interesting effect on my mind as I'm trying to think through problems while exercising. So I got to do a little bit of that on these long bike rides. And then when I've been like doing some conditioning on my rowing machine in my basement, like I can kind of just get in like a low, low grade, steady state, you know, 45 minutes on the machine and just like start brainstorming. So I'm usually like scribbling down notes as soon as I, as soon as I stop, which is just kind of a kind of interesting hack that i hadn't really tried before nice yeah i like that my updates are uh less positive and one of the things i was noticing is like i I was trying to think like when's the last time i exercised Mm, yeah and i couldn't even remember oh interesting yeah so it's like i think this is partly uh, at play here and that had been such a heavy part of your routine i know at least when we talked about a few months ago you know so totally Hmm. yeah yeah should i just get into it yeah Go ahead. Cool. I'm back from the vineyard now. I uh, got back a couple days ago. It's good to be back. It was fun to like see Spencer and Joel again and actually be working all together. But over the last month, basically, our awesome growth has slowed down quite a bit. Substantially fewer trials signed up in September than August. We added like 20% less MRR in September than August. And for October, which we're four days into, we're actually like net negative 500 bucks. And we haven't had a negative period of any kind, actually, <laughs> since like, you know, early summer. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe earlier. Yep. The sky is not falling. The things are not like crashing downward, but we are slightly negative over like the more recent time period. We didn't close a big deal in September. Um, so it's like we, our net revenue is usually, you know, it's like 20% down from where it is. Cause usually we get some sort of 5k, 10k deal or something a month and that's not happening. So looking at all the metrics, it's like, oh man, all these things that used to look so rosy are still rosy ish and still very good compared to two months ago or three months ago. But you can see the sort of like the second derivative is, is lowering. Does this feel unexpected to you or did you foresee the things that were working with this initial introduction to the world and promotion through Twitter and like kind of the channels that you have access to like did you envision those kind of starting to plateau a bit or is this feel like like shocking 
It feels kind of shocking because I just kind of assumed like the, the good days would last forever, <laughs> naively. Um, but I remember saying on a previous podcast that, you know, I have this sort of nagging doubt in the back of my head that like we haven't really figured out a marketing channel or a reliable sales channel. It's just been kind of working. I think that that has kind of come home to roost, basically. I think effectively, Slack removing remote control and Zoom getting some bad publicity and us, you know, being the new kid on the block and launching it, becoming publicly available, all gave us this really strong tailwind for a handful of months. And there was just like this pent up demand. And now it's like, okay, we're actually now at our like sort of steady state, you have to actually earn uh, your new customers. It's not actually a giant problem of any kind, really, or probably not. I don't, I don't think there's any sort of like large systemic issue here. But psychologically, it was like, oh, man, I went away for a little bit. And then everything kind of all the new stuff went off the rails. And so I feel kind of like guilty for having been away. And also just like the contrast of easy growth versus like, oh, that seems to be gone now. Or, you know, at least tapering off is somewhat shocking. I could see that. On the one hand, I'm like, I'm excited for you to work the process of figuring out like what are what are our repeatable traction channels that that you can unlock because social being one of the primary drivers of growth is cool if it works, but it always scares me a little bit because it's like it's one of those things where you like you can't really figure out like what am I doing to what are my inputs into this process that's producing the results. Like if you had a content marketing strategy or something and you're like, well, I know that if I produce X number of high quality articles that drives this much traffic, that drives this conversion rate, and it's more of a, a systematized thing. And like the, the kind of growth that's based off of like, oh, we have this kind of pent up demand and there's word of mouth and there's social goodwill, like all that stuff is squishier and like harder to, to make repeatable, I guess. On the flip side of like, I, I feel your pain, like it's tough to like, I feel like you hit a wall, but also I think it's kind of exciting to think about like, what are your, because I know there's, there's probably a, a, a ton of channels that you can unlock with, with some effort, you know, but it's like, now, now's the chance where you really got to find what those are. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And this, this is like a little scary to me because this is kind of newer territory to me. When I like launched Upcase at ThoughtBot, we had sort of a similar situation where there's such a large existing audience that we just got a huge influx in the beginning. And then eventually it hit a plateau. And I never systematically tried a bunch of marketing activities and like tested them and like, you know, got the metrics in order to see like what's working and what can we do and how do we drive more. This is very new for me. Like I'm, I've gotten a business kind of to where we are now before, but it's like, okay, now what do you do to keep it going for real? But the, the good news is we've kind of done very little. So like you and I record this podcast and I tweet sometimes and, you know, we have like a handful of like little marketing type things that I've been doing. But really, not that much has been done on this. So it's not like we tried 10 things and none of them worked. What are we going to do? It's like, okay, here's 10 ideas. We haven't done any of them. Uh, which ones seem best that we should do in the next couple months? Yeah. I did something on my trip that is in line with what you're talking about. So I basically have been thinking through something similar because Static Hit is at the point where it's you know, the product is really young. And I didn't do a bunch of like build up pre-marketing as I built the product and kind of built the email list and built the the hype channel that I could ride off of for a while. So I'm at the point now where I'm like, I'm kind of where you are in trying to think through what are the traction, what are the repeatable traction channels that I can find for this product and, 
and trying to build those systems at this point because like right now I'm just I need distribution I need awareness built and I need to to figure out like how am I bringing this thing to market over the weekend because it was my birthday no one could stop me from doing this I <laughs> I brought a business book nice. <laughs> and I decided to reread Traction uh, Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Maris's book which I have consulted at many times in the past you know and I generally just kind of dip in and like peruse through the, the 19 traction channels that they outline and like kind of dip in there to get some inspiration and stuff. But this time I decided I'm like, I'm going to try to read the front part of the book, which is like, they kind of have this framework for thinking about how to test and evaluate traction channels. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this as kind of a, a solo whiteboarding exercise in my notebook and work their process. So they have this thing called the bullseye framework where it's like, you know, run through the list, brainstorm everything you can about all the various channels, and then try to pick your top three and rank them and then try to formulate a test for each one and try not to go beyond the three and run a test that you can ideally perform with pretty minimal cost and pretty short time frame to try to get an idea of like, is this, is this going to be an effective traction channel for me right now? Or is there something that can produce, you know, faster wins for me at the stage that I'm at? That was a really good exercise. I feel like I have more clarity about kind of the things that I'm thinking about trying to do, but I have, I have a little bit more justification behind like, why am I doing this right now instead of testing out Twitter ads, for example, or trying to produce a bunch of content? Like it just kind of gives me a little bit of a, a direction, I feel like. So hmm. do you want to share what the, th- the channels you've chosen are? Um, sure. There's 19 of them. The framework kind of asks you to bucket them into three categories, your, your inner circle, your list of potentials, and then the things that are a long shot. I have four in my top right now, and I, I kind of probably should try to whittle it down even more. But right now, my, my biggest ones are going to be kind of the business development partnerships angle. I think getting complementary services that, that have people building static sites using their platform as a kind of a promotion channel for me, I think is going to be something interesting content marketing, like producing really, really useful content for developers on how to perform things that are maybe seem daunting, like how to basically migrate different types of websites into the static realm and how to perform specific use cases, not just like your typical low value content marketing SEO type of pieces, but like things that are actually useful that will get shared around in the dev community. I think there's potentially a virality component with if I have some some higher level com- form components, for example, that um, someone can just embed on their site, then there's an opportunity to put like a Powered by Static Kit link on there if you're on the free plan. So I think that's something interesting to test out. And then I always like the engineering as marketing angle too. So like building little tools that are sort of complementary to what Static Kit does, but are free. And those are kind of the ones that I narrowed down. I, I mean, what you're supposed to do is start with all the channels and brainstorm for each one like don't eliminate any of them so there's things in there like sales and trade shows and offline ads and like things that i'm like i could almost write these off but i force myself to think through and i have at least a couple bullet points for each of those as well so you're supposed to like try to suspend any like pre-existing biases you have and so these are kind of the ones i came up with but always subject to change you know Mm -hmm. cool the idea of a framework for choosing this is appealing. Like, I feel like I haven't, in a disciplined way, gone about, like, I will run these tests. I have these ideas for these things. We'll figure out the ones that work. I find myself being like, okay, trials are down. We need more trials. How do you get more people to buy your thing? I almost don't have a model for this. Yep. Yep. 
no, so I think this this exercise could be could be helpful in just helping you think through in a more systematized way, you know? Totally. Yeah. And yeah. I, I have this book already, so I should just give it a read. Yeah. Or, yeah. or a reread. I mm-hmm. have looked at it. Man, the, the engineering is marketing is so appealing because it's like, just write code and then right. you'll get more money. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like I would have to discount that. Like, anything I put in there is like, that's just probably too fun. So <laughs> make sure this really is worth trying. Well, there's a thing in there that I think is a, like, a bit of a trap, which is I've gotten a fair number of people being like, you guys should make a site for people to find other people to pair with. And I'm always like, yeah, it sounds interesting. What have you done in the past to try to find people to pair with? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> that's <laughs> yes. always been the answer. Yep. Yep. So uh, there's, there's this idea where it's like, oh, man, I would love to just, it'd be fun to just be like, oh, I should spin up a new Rails app and it'll be like this and then, and like go work on the thing I know how to work on. But I, I feel like I, I can I see the, the downside of that. Yeah. It's tricky not to take that like, engineering is marketing as license to build whatever you think would be cool to exist in the world without treating it like a product in and of itself. It's basically like doing mini product validation on some little tool. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, like I, I recall in the, in the section where they kind of dive into engineering is marketing the traction book, I think it was a big driver for HubSpot in the early days. They had like their, their site grader or something like that, that would tell you like SEO things you could improve. It is encouraging because I think Darmesh was is an engineer, I believe, by train. Like I think one of the co-founders of HubSpot, and he was like, "Yeah, this is this happens to be something that we really love doing is like building products and building building stuff." And at the time, at least when this book was authored, he was quoted as saying, "Like, yeah, this is an underutilized marketing channel." I don't know if that's still true today. Like, I don't know if if this is becoming much more noisy building things like this for marketing. But it is interesting that maybe you could get some alignment with like what's also fun to do it could also be an effective marketing channel yeah yeah so i've been sort of like thinking about what my plans are for for dealing with this and actually one of the steps i'm taking is uh talking to our friend rob walling later today i just emailed him was like hey like i'm i'm facing this thing it would be useful to talk to someone who's been here before can i like chat with you for just a few minutes and so we're talking later which feels good this is actually suggested by my mom she's like can't you talk to your network about this and i was like oh yeah i definitely do know people who have been through this exact thing before and would have thoughts and it's partly like therapy honestly where it's like help me remember that the sky isn't falling and that like things are going to be okay and like yes we're like growth is slowing down but we're we've already grown a lot like we're not in like we're not burning runway anymore so it's like there's time to figure out what's going to get us to the next level and that kind of thing. And it's not like we're getting like crushed by churn or anything. Like it's like, oh, we stopped growing because we're churning out so many customers. It's just like the, the top of the funnel is is sparser. There's something really comforting about talking to somebody who's kind of an, an expert in the field that knows a thing or two. Like it, I almost take more weight from them when they tell me the sky is not falling as opposed to just talking to a someone who a friend or a loved one who wants the best for you and wants to remind you of that. And you're like, yeah, but you don't you're not necessarily qualified to tell me that for sure. <laughs> so I'd, I'd rather hear it from somebody who <laughs> who has some some cred, you know? Right. Yeah. And everyone's incentivized to not to tell you that, that everything is going to be okay. Like they sure. want to soothe you yes. by default. Yes. So yep. yeah. yeah, you want the friends that will tell you, no, this guy is falling. You need to snap into action because this is real bad. Um, and, and know what they're talking about, of course. Part of that is I'm, I'm reaching out to Rob. Another thing we've done is we actually set uh, quarterly OKRs. Uh, for Q4, because mm-hmm. we're a real business. What does OKR stand for again? So OKR stands for Objectives and Key Results. So the format is basically, uh, the objective is kind of a high-level qualitative description of what you want to happen. 
and then the key results are metrics driven things that you will achieve that that will tend to cause that objective my objective is fill the top of the funnel and the key results are increase new email subscribers from x to y and then increase new trials from you know z to f so it's like okay i, I want to fill the top of the funnel and here are the metrics that will show i'm doing it or like tell me about progress along that path but they're not prescriptive it's not like i'm going to do these five things it's like well no i'm achieving the objective if these numbers move this way, figure out how to achieve the objective. And then I have kind of a list of like, okay, here are things I think will increase new trials and signups and things like that. Are you looking at traffic with a percentage to trial and a percentage like you're, are you kind of modeling the funnel with specific objectives right now? Or is it? Um, so the, the two key results for filling the top of the funnel are email subscribers and new trials. So I, I didn't go as far as saying like specific visitors, although that definitely uh, impacts that. I have modeled out like the, the funnel in a, a spreadsheet. So I'm kind of like looking at like, okay, because one of the things I, I wanted to find out was like, okay, what revenue is not growing as fast? Why? Like what has changed? And it looks like it's kind of all these things where it's like a little bit less traffic, uh, fewer email signups, fewer new trials, uh, trial conversion rate slightly down, things like that. So I can at least kind of see like, okay, here are the, here are the areas where if we move these back up, they should fix themselves. So we have some OKR around top of funnel and also around trial conversion sort of more in Joel's arena, we're working on reaching out to more people while they're in trial and trying to make sure, like actually just do more high touch trial conversations, basically. And this is already, I would say, paying off. Duh, obviously, of course, it's, it's like, why not talk to your customers who are using your product and see if how they're doing? But we just was like one of those things we hadn't gotten to. And previously, it was all fine. You know, it's a little bit like this is the, the sort of the stress stimulus that I think is strengthening the system, which is nice. Uh, but like we talked to a, a potentially high value trial and they're like, we like it. It's good. Uh, we had these three issues though. And I was like, wow, two of these three, we can probably just fix in the next week or two. That's the kind of thing that we were doing quite aggressively in the early days when every trial is like, oh my God, we got a trial. We got to make them so happy. Uh, and then got maybe a little bit complacent in the later days where it's just like, yeah, just like a bunch of people just sign up and just convert without us even talking to them. So, you know, we can be more passive about it. Do you feel like the stating the objective of filling the top of the funnel do you feel like that is the goal specific enough to where you feel like you can you can consider it adequately filled by the time you get to the end or will it is that too vague where you're going to be like did i fill it i don't know like or do you feel like you have specific numbers attached to your goals? no i do so so okay. that's the that's the goal of the key results so the okay. objectives are sort of intentionally qualitative yeah it's like, okay. What, okay what do you want to happen like i want the top of the funnel to, to be full it's like okay what does that mean how will you actually confirm that numerically and so for each objective, you define those key results. And it's like, I can see I'm X percent of the way towards achieving these key results. Therefore, I'm on track to finish by the time the quarter's over. Yeah. So the objectives kind of let you dream big and think just like imagine a better future. And then it's like, all right, let's get sort of, you know, detail oriented about it. It's nice to have a, a goal, a target, and like the ability to, to track like, how am I doing? Like, am I doing what I am you know, hoping to do? Uh, but we haven't done it. We haven't quite done this yet. So it's a, it's an interesting experiment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a good learning opportunity, good growth opportunity for you as a founder. I think making it through this will, will make you stronger, more resilient to future plateaus. And, uh, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's going to be good. Totally. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I actually agree with that. I heard this great analogy, which is, uh, when they first started growing trees inside like biodome things, they found that the trees would fall over really easily. And it turned out that the wind pushing trees around makes the trees stronger. 
like the trees in response grow stronger wood in the center. And so you kind of need to be buffeted a little bit if you want to be as strong as possible. And that that really resonates. Hopefully it's even true. Um, but it's like, yeah, like that feeling I had where I was like, we haven't really figured out like traction channels for this product was like, I, I knew in the back of my mind like that wasn't good, but we were just getting away with it. And so it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so now it's like, okay, like if we want to keep growing quickly, then we're going to need to figure this out. And, but that's like, that's clearly something I need to be able to do. Like this has to be part of my skill set, And this is, I think, kind of one of the most important parts of my job. So this is a good opportunity to actually like, okay, feel the pain, act in response, strengthen yourself in response to the, you know, the stimulus and uh, be better off in the future. Mm-hmm. Are you at like a state of being default alive right now where like if things, if revenue stayed where it was for the next three months, just flatlined, would you be feeling anxious about, you know, what you're able to pay yourselves right now? Is your runway like your runway is collectively strong enough and like you could weather three months of no growth? We zoomed past ramen and we're at comfortable, I would say. Not quite at like high-end dev salaries, but like not that far off that. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. So like it's it's happening at a, a very good time. It's not like, oh man, we need to restart this or like trouble. It's like I think effectively our, our financial runway is effectively infinite. Our patience runway would not be infinite if we never got bigger than this. But um, yeah, we're, we're in a, a good spot financially. I mean, that's the, the point I'm looking forward to is when like the business is bringing in enough to cover my baseline personal expenses. And I feel like I feel like all other goals beyond that will be it'll be kind of a rival fallacy happening where like, oh, when when I reach 20K in MRR, I'll be then I'll be really happy. And I know when I get there, it'll be like I'm looking for the next, <laughs> you know, looking for the next target. But I feel like the big one, perhaps the biggest one is just going to be going from a state of burning money to a state of break even on personal. Like, I think that's I think it's going to be a meaningful milestone. Yeah, I wish I could say that we stopped and celebrated and dwelled on that more <laughs> when we yeah. got there. <laughs> but it was pretty quickly like, okay, and then what, what now what? All right, yeah. well, how do we get to the next the next round number? Yeah, yeah. So much so that like a friend of mine actually like stopped and he like sat me down and he was like, you need to take a minute and like be excited about that fact. Like this is a huge change. Like you, you've, you've gone from zero to one in a certain sense. And like that's that's a big deal. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, we totally didn't, <laughs> didn't even, I mean, you know, we talked about it loosely, but it's just so hard to sit there and, and revel in what you've done and not want more. That's definitely one of my takeaways is like, I don't think it's going to matter what the number is. If it doesn't look like it's going to go up and have a new and more interesting future, it's not enough. Like, I don't think there isn't enough, unfortunately. <laughs> and if we change our mindsets dramatically, perhaps there would be. Like, if it was like, okay, we want to keep this totally passive and spend two hours a week on each, how much money do we need to survive so we can go do other stuff? Maybe there's a number where it's like, okay, that we can hit that. But in order for it to be a fulfilling life experience, I think it's all about the next stuff, the next challenge and the next plateau and the, the next breakthrough. Mm-hmm. There's a certain fulfillment you can gain from the work that you're doing, what you're pouring a majority of your effort into. And I think that's probably, for a lot of us, is somewhat divorced from like, it's not just pure greed. It's not just like a desire to amass more personal wealth. There's something else intrinsic about the fulfillment you get from from succeeding at work and, you know, continuing to expand your your skill set and continuing to make the thing you're working on more influential in the world, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if my income weren't tied to the revenue, 
I think it would still I would still want to see it changing because that's it's just like sort of the easiest score to look at and to know like okay we're doing new interesting different things or providing more value it's really easy to imagine that there may come a point where you reach enough and then it's like everything's rosy and like it doesn't matter if we grow beyond that but i feel like that's that is a fallacy um i I think it is it's so it's frustrating it's frustrating kind of yeah yeah it's disappointing it's like wouldn't it be nice if you could just reach this point and then just be like ah excellent and really truly take inside yourself the idea like i have made it all this is gravy let's just have a really fun time with it and maybe some people can do this i don't know from my experience this is it doesn't this doesn't seem to happen Mm -hmm. maybe it's a self-selecting group the people who who enter into these types of endeavors are inherently ambitious and ambition is something that's very hard to uh it's kind of intrinsic i feel like in your it's kind of baked into your personality or just the way you approach work and it's hard to like you can't just dial that down by choice and say, like, I'm going to be happy with where we're at, you know? Yep. So. Yeah, so it's kind of unfortunate in that we're probably not going to reach a, a peaceful plateau. I think it's okay to accept this and just say, like, the thing that I enjoy is the improvement. It's the new challenge. It's the change. And that's, I don't think that's necessarily bad. It doesn't mean I have to live in a state of discontentment. I'm pleased and interested in continuing to grow this thing but it doesn't mean if it grows a little bit slower that i'm gonna agonize about it the whole time yes hopefully i think that's gonna be your biggest challenge and that's my challenge at every phase is to continue to enjoy myself and enjoy the process and not just always be you know looking for the feeling like you're falling short of the next goal you know um it's just tricky it's very yeah i agree that's that's the that's the flip side that's the hard part yep but we'll work on it together yeah on the air mm-hmm. <laughs> we will see how we see how we do with it yep yep speaking of on the air i'm, I'm going to try a podcast ad oh okay or actually a couple i just mm-hmm. uh, i purchased uh some spots on full stack radio adam wathen's podcast very nice yeah so in january we'll run some tuple ads and see how it goes awesome. yeah seems like a very um it's a particularly targeted audience so i'm curious to see how it performs you know like it's i feel mm-hmm. like most full stack radio listeners are squarely in your target market, which is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I think so. Well, so the other day you tweeted, like, what are your favorite dev-related podcasts? And I saved that thread and then came back to it. It was like, what's most commonly mentioned here? And like Full Stack Radio was one, Syntax FM was mentioned a lot. Uh, so I was like, well, let's see about advertising on these podcasts. Yeah, at the time I happened to be thinking about like, what, you know, I, I was running through my bullseye framework stuff and I was like, okay, podcast advertising slash podcast appearances could be, you know, has been known to be a, an effective um, an effective channel. And I was like, what are the ones that people are most uh, into these days? And like, it makes a perfect tweet to, to yeah. gather that info. So Totally. Yeah. yeah. And our, our LTV is is high enough, like it's in the multiple thousands, that it's like it shouldn't, wouldn't take many people assuming they have similar churn rates and ARPU to our normal customers uh, to make a podcast ad quite profitable. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this performs. It's kind of making me realize i feel like in a bunch of ways we are design constrained so if i'm running an ad on full stack radio i don't want to send people to our generic landing page like we we need a special page for them with adam's face on it and you know adam's testimonial because he was the first tuple customer and him saying like just there's just i think it would be silly to 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 not have a a special page for him and then if we do more of these then you know one for each of them and maybe special coupon codes and whatever like so 
Uh, it's like, okay, well, now I picture myself making a bunch of landing pages. And there's a, there's a bunch of my other marketing ideas that include, okay, and also it needs a landing page because, you know, websites is the internet. And so I'm feeling more and more like, man, we could really use like consistent design help. And I'm, I'm getting more and more of the opinion, like we should probably prioritize a chunk of revenue towards this like sooner rather than later. Start looking for this person because I'm sure this will be hard to find. Like I'm actually just curious what you think. Like if, if we wanted to spend, let's say... I don't know, $6,000 a month on a designer. Like, what's the, like, how would we best allocate that money? Is that like work for us a week a month and like hire somebody really expensive or like work for us two days a week or find somebody really cheap and have them half time? Like, there's so many different like iterations or like different configurations here. Man. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, we got by at Drip for the for the longest time without a quote unquote professional designer. Like I was just kind of able to to you, know, you had you put, put stuff together. Um, but I mean, it, our de- stuff definitely got better when we were able to have a full time focused designer. But it was that was uh, gosh, post acquisition, I think so. We made it a long time without one. I don't know. I think. Well, you didn't have a designer before you got acquired. No. Mm-mm. Wow. Scrappy. Yeah. yeah. Very scrappy. <laughs> <laughs> You've been paying contractors so far, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you Steve, feel like basically? Uh, yeah, Steve. Uh, do you have any other besides Steve, or is it just Steve right now? Um, we kind of have some designers helping us out now too, in sort of a weird limboish. We're not quite paying you, but we'll figure something out. State. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think that would be the easiest route is just to to find a contract designer who's willing to do, you know, specific projects for you and has some flex time to give you, but like hopefully wouldn't lock you into some kind of consistent retainer. Because I think right now I feel like you're still your needs are lumpy enough or like, okay, we need a couple landing pages and you might go a couple weeks without without really needing a bunch of design work done. So um yeah. It's probably bursty. So bursty, like, yeah. I'd rather buy a block of hours and then having people like fit stuff in kind of mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. they go, I think. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of freelance. There's a lot of designers who who enjoy being freelance. Like one like there's a lot of high quality designers out there who like that model of doing bursty work. Um so, I don't know. That's how I think about it. Yeah. I think I'm going to start working on this. Like what I've heard from a number of people is start working on hiring stuff way before you think you're ready to hire the person because it takes a long time to find the right people and write up the description and blah blah blah. Yeah, that's one of those that's one of those tasks that's kind of it's annoying because it it's like meta work that distracts from the actual thing you're trying to accomplish. Sure. <laughs> but yep. is necessary, you know. Um Yep. Totally. So that sounds like uh the CEO job to me yep. in some ways. Totally. Yeah. I mean I would I would love to have that going on. I think I've told you before, like having design be a bit of a competitive advantage really appeals to me. Like I like beautiful products. Let's make ours beautiful in like all the touch points. And just having like someone who's kind of continually working on those things and making new design assets. And uh, just like a friend of mine who's a designer has been helping us out a bit. And he did kind of a quick pass over the the tuple app window and just like kind of fixed a couple things that people have been complaining about and that we've been thinking about and like had in our heads. And it's like, oh yeah, this is a really nice improvement. And it was just kind of like, something he did probably pretty casually and pretty quickly. And it's like, yeah, there's a value to having someone who's an expert at this for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it lends, I think it does lend a, a lot of 
legitimacy if if everything is kind of cohesive and tightly designed like it just it impacts people's perception of the product in ways that's hard hard to measure i think but i definitely notice it in myself like i inherently enjoy and trust products more that pay attention to design and ones that look just something looks off about them i'm just less likely to want to use it oh Um, for sure so. Yeah. Yeah. It's like sometimes it's like, I want a service that does this. Like, okay, let's look at three of them and whoever has the best landing page. Yeah. Like, I mean, best design landing page I'm in. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times that's what it comes down to. I remember years ago, I was at ThoughtBot and we we're thinking about using Recurly or Chargeify. And we pulled up both the landing pages and the Chargeify landing page was just ugly. Yeah. And we were just like, we can't use this. <laughs> like, yeah. like we're, we're just not going to sign up for a service that, that looks like this. Yeah. I know it had nothing to do with features or mm-hmm. quality or, or like, or like, you know, like a code quality or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Just like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is ugly. Not going to do it. Yeah. So it matters. Ah, oh, cool. Well, anything else going on in your world? Um, no, I think that's, I think that's the bulk of it. I'm kind of deep into building a feature that I'm pretty excited about. I'm not really given details on just yet, but in the coming weeks I'll be, um, I'm sure I'll be talking about it. So cool. Yeah. Slinging that code. Yep. Yep. Are you writing static kit stuff in, is this Ruby or is this Elixir? This or? is Elixir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm, I continue to toy around with um, static site generators and stuff for when I write a guide, I'll a lot of times pick kind of a different generator just to, just to learn it. Cause I feel like it behooves me to, <laughs> to know mm-hmm. well, how the tools work in the ecosystems. So like the front end, like the marketing site is built in Next.js, which is kind of a newer React based static site generator. Uh, which is pretty cool. And I think I could see eventually moving the app into that and like hitting a GraphQL API that I have from my service instead of instead of rendering everything from Phoenix. Like that could be could be interesting to do down the line. But yeah, for now it's just kind of a vanilla Phoenix app. Have has Phoenix become your like default web app stack, would you say? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it gives me so many of the benefits of so many of the performance and speed to development benefits that I got from Rails, but it just it feels like more performant, uh, a little bit cleaner, and just the paradigm just fits better with how I like to program. Like you know, more functional um, and immutability and some of those properties of programming languages that I really like. Hmm. So, wow, damn, I'm yeah. jealous. Yeah, <laughs> you want to rewrite the tuple backend and uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's a pretty cool stack. <laughs> cool. All right, well, shall we wrap it? Yeah, let's wrap it. All right, show notes. Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.